The following is a For Vengeance Media production. is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey. On Silent Ice TV. Welcome to episode 10 of Game Changers, home of hockey here on Silent Ice TV. My name is Dean Millard, and wow, what a start to the season it has been. Not so great for a few Canadian teams and their employees, the Ottawa Senators making moves recently, and of course, the big news over the weekend, the Edmonton Oilers making a massive uh, change in the game when it comes to their coaching staff. Chris Knobloch is in, former Alberta Golden Bear I got to know him a little bit on a trip to Fredericton for a national championship and uh, won four times with the Bears as a player, one as a coach with Edmonton. I know a lot has been made about the McDavid connection. Um, You know, we'll we'll talk with one of our guests, Sean Bell, about uh, his thoughts on that. I think a lot of conspiracy theorists are out there uh, working overtime in this one. Uh, uh, but as for whether they made the move or right the wait, may, whether they made the right move, rather, obviously only time will tell for that one. So that's going to be a big uh, topic of conversation that we are going to have today. Our guests include Sean Bell, who played 500 plus games in the NHL, was also a member of, uh, in my opinion, the greatest World Junior Team of all time uh, in North Dakota. So real fun conversation. I get to see Sean uh, quite regularly as the head coach of HC Edmonton, and I'm fortunate enough to be uh, one of the voices of the JPHL on Silent Ice TV. So I get to watch his teams, uh, and I love watching the aggressive style of his teams, and I love the coaching camaraderie in the JPHL that we will talk about. And my good friend Sam Cosentino from Rogers Sportsnet analyst on NHL games and the CHL. We're going to dive into the NHL draft. We're also going to dive into uh, the Oilers coaching situation, the Calder watch, and a lot more with Sam Cosentino. Plus, we're going to bring you uh, the best and the brightest from this past weekend in the JPHL in our recap. But first, let's get to Mr. Sam Cosentino from Rogers Sportsnet. My pleasure to welcome from Roger Sportsnet, Sam Cosentino. Uh, I've known you for so long, Sam, when we were back on the pipeline days with uh, Guy Flaming and 
Uh, wonderful here many years later be sitting talking hockey once again as we're in different uh, spots you're doing a lot more national games and uh, even uh, in between the benches on the ice uh, some some calling games but uh, the the world of hockey seems to come full circle for a lot of people including us and Chris Knobloch who is back now with Connor McDavid again uh, with the Edmonton Oilers uh, strange situation I was out in Vancouver when that news broke but I guess let's just uh, maybe start with Chris Knobloch, is he a much different coach now than when he coached McDavid back in Erie, do you think? So, so I haven't tracked him in terms of his AHL, but I did go and look at the roster yesterday. And, and you know, the New York Rangers are obviously a team with a ton of money. And I looked at the roster and I thought, well, how much are the New York Rangers really putting into this? And I say that because I sit here just outside the Toronto market. I look at the Toronto Marlies. I look at what they pay their veterans. And they put a lot of thought and, and resources into their American Hockey League team. Just at first glance, and I, and I, you know, I, I think it's uh, fairly accurate. I, I just don't see that happening from the Rangers. So when Chris Knobloch goes from the Canadian Hockey League, gets into the National Hockey League as an assistant with the Philadelphia Flyers, that goes sideways and then ends up with a pretty good organization that probably, um, you know, pays it it's coaches quite well at the American league level, but I don't know how much other resources are going into making that a successful team. So having said that to be able to track his progress, you kind of want to do it by numbers, but I, I just don't think in this situation, that's the way to do it. What I would say in, in just watching some of the press conferences since Chris has taken over is that he looks to me to be very much the same guy, really smart, really thoughtful, genuine, calm, not going to freak out on you, that sort of thing. Where I do think he has a, a real edge in, in coming into this job is a couple of things. Having coached in two different junior leagues in, in the Western Hockey League and winning a title there with Kootenai in 2011 and then again with, uh, with Erie in the Ontario Hockey League in 2017, the diversity of players, styles of game, I think is important. Having been on a National Hockey League bench as an assistant for a couple of years, also important to get the sense of what that's like to give you the experience that, hey, if that job as a head guy ever comes up in the National Hockey League, here's what I do the same. Here's what I do different. So uh, he's as prepared a guy as you're going to find. He's got wonderful support there, um, you know, on the, on the Oilers bench. And, and obviously, I, I'm wishing him the, the very best uh, because I always like to see when guys who I've had experiences with either calling games or in meetings with coaches and so on and so forth get those opportunities because they're few and far between they're they're one of 32 jobs and i think chris is going to do a good job there can he get him into the playoffs i mean the numbers say it's going to be extremely difficult but i i suppose if there's someone who can do it it would be chris yeah, I, this is a thing that I really like about Chris Knobloch, and you mentioned it a bit, championship experience. He has it as a player as well. Four championships at the University of Alberta, where I got to know him a little bit when he was a player, and then he won again uh, in the uh, CHL, uh, in, in the coaching ranks, and so this guy knows how to win. Um, I think a lot has been being made about uh, his past relationship with Connor McDavid. Does it hurt? I don't think so, but... I, I'm having a hard time believing that they would just hire anybody to make Connor McDavid happy. I think the quality of the person, the quality of the knowledge, and a little bit of his experience all comes into play on this. And and right, let's remember, he's not the only person new that's coming in on this bench. There's Paul Coffey as well, and there's you know different voices. So it's not just Chris Knobloch's voice only for the Oilers now. I'd have a hard time believing, Dean, that, that Connor wasn't involved in the conversation. Yeah, I agree. And that's not to say that he wanted Jay Woodcroft out. 
I suspect here's how it went down. The Oilers looked and said, okay, we've demoted a goalie. We've looked at the trade market. We're up against the cap. We don't have any option to shake things up unless we change the coach. So then that decision gets made by, well, what looks like to be uh, Jeff Jackson now. And at that point, um, hey, we're going to make a change. What do you think of A, B, C, and D? Not, hey, I'm Connor McDavid. I don't like what's going on here. I'm going to management. I want to change. I want my guy. I don't believe it went down that way at all. But I also have a hard time believing that Connor had no prior knowledge or at least some input into the decision. Totally agree with you, uh, 100%, Sam. I, I, you know, and, and there was obviously a, some different messages sent at that press conference. I think that I can look at what Ken Holland said and what Jeff Jackson said and actually believe it that maybe Holland did talk to some veterans, but maybe Jeff Jackson was saying for this actual decision, they didn't say, do you approve on this, Connor? Maybe they just said, what do you think uh, about this? And then you know, go into that. So I, I think we could probably speculate and people are speculating on that a lot. We can also speculate before we get to this year's National Hockey League draft on the Calder race and and everybody was looking at it saying it's Bedard's but what Leo Carlson has done in the last little bit I think has to at least people say hmm maybe. What do you think Sam? It's awesome. I love it. I love to see the number of guys that are involved here. My colleague, Jason Buchla, was a huge Logan Cooley fan, so he arrived on the scene, you know, a little bit later. Um, but, man, is he ever skilled, is he ever gifted, and is he's just a menace in the power play. Leo Carlson managing his time, you know, that might, might end up being the difference when you get down to it. Adam Fantilli quietly going about his business. Luke Evangelista with Nashville had a great 24-game stretch at the end of last year. I mean, you're talking about some high-end guys. I'm so happy to see Marco Rossi, who won a you know a CHL scoring title a couple of years ago with Ottawa, and then you know the the COVID issues that he had, and then of course you got Bedard with with nine goals. But the guy that I have the sleeper in all of this is Pavel Minchikov. He too has nine points. He's with Anaheim defenseman playing a ton of minutes. I think that position is harder to be successful at at a young age. That position, in my opinion, requires the second most experience, next to goalie, of course, to be successful at that position. This guy, I, I've watched him a few times, and I'm just amazed by his poise. He is really, really good. Can he maintain it through a whole year? Well, it's possible. And if he does so, he's going to be the, the sleepy guy in the conversation. He won't be the sexy guy. He won't be the Bedard, the Fantilli, um, the Cooley. But he might be the sleeper in all this just because of uh, a positional bias. And you know what? I actually think being an offensive defenseman as a young player is easier than being a really strong defender. And you can look at all the sexy stats and everything. But when you have a rookie defenseman who can defend that well and the coaches and the scouts and the players all see it, they that's who I think they would be like, yeah, the goals are impressive. But this guy acting like a 30-year-old defenseman in his own end in his rookie season, that's what really impresses the hockey people, I think. 
Oh yeah, yeah, no question. Like, how are you so poised at that age? But I know he's a he's a big fan of the game and learning and dedicated mm -hmm. to the craft in terms of, you know, how he stayed away from home to work out the off season, that sort of stuff, going through Saginaw and then eventually in Ottawa and in the Ontario Hockey League in, in what was, you know, a really that difficult time for him and still remains that way in, in his homeland. So, uh, awesome, awesome stuff. I. I I love the young man. Had a chance to meet him in his draft year very briefly, um, but just just really impressed by by what he's been able to do from that position. But this thing, you know, you know, it's not going to be decided at the halfway mark. It won't be decided at trade deadline. It's it's going to go to the wire. There's just too many really good young players that are having great years so far. And that's what we want. We want, you know, as much as uh, every once in a while you have that wire-to-wire -wire rookie finish that's, you know, like Timu Solani and his 76 goals. There was pretty much no doubt about that one going back in time. But intrigue is great. And, and we had no intrigue in last year's draft as far as the first overall pick. You know, the year before, it was all about intrigue and different things. And this year... I think we have some intrigue again, and, and I think it starts off the ice. The The story, Cole Iserman and Macklin Celebrini and their friendship is a great story. I mean, we've had Taylor versus Tyler before, and every time you talk to them, they didn't really know these guys. These guys know each other. They're buddies. It's uh, a really a, a unique situation, and... You know, and maybe you go back to the Yakupov Galchenyuk when they went one and one and three when they were playing with Sarnia, who would have had, you know, some experience as, as teammates previously. But this is kind of a cool thing that these guys have grown up through, through the Shattuck ranks. Uh, you know, have gone separate ways in terms of their path forward after that, and now will converge once again, hopefully in in, in Vegas in June. And, you know, just another lobby for for Vegas for what's probably going to be the final in-person draft. But anyways, um, really, really neat situation there. I, I do think that Celebrini is a guy who's going to go wire to wire. The more I, I see what he's doing at, at BU as a freshman, looks a lot like Fantilli, whereas in this case, he doesn't have a Bedard to go against when it comes to Celebrini. He has a really good player in Iserman, but Iserman's a winger, and yes, he's a goal scorer. But Celebrini playing that center ice position, I think, is going to give him that edge and going to allow him to run with this thing uh, right until we get to wherever we're going in June. Yeah, and uh, I, I think Vegas is probably a, a pretty good one. If it is going to be the last in-person draft, which I, I think is a bit of a shame, just just on that oh, point, yeah. I, I think it's just so fun to hear the fan base cheer for some and obviously boo their rivals and the conversations. Uh, listen, I'll say as a as a reporter covering the draft, it can sometimes be sleepy, but I would rather it be sleepy in person than watching it on TV. And for a fan, there it's it's fun because you're seeing the conversations happen before you. I mean, I think it's a bad idea just just in in my opinion to get rid of the in person draft. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I, I do too. And it's tough to go against budgetary concerns sure. in any business, and even at that level, you know, hey, we just bought out. Uh, you're Minnesota and you just bought out whatever in, in contracts from, from Suter and Parisi, but you don't want to spend a hundred grand to bring your people into the, into a city for, for a couple of days. Like sometimes that it's, it's almost ass backward thinking, but when you're going against 32 teams with budgets, you had a couple of, you know, an owner in, in Ottawa just paid almost a billion dollars. And now you got to go tell him to spend another hundred grand to bring his people to, you know, to wherever it is for draft or, or, or whatever the cost that is. But, you know, it's probably somewhere in that neighborhood. I guess that's a that's a tough look too. But th there's nothing like in person, and unfortunately, we got desensitized to virtual things over the course of of the pandemic. 
Um, and that's obviously the way the world, the way in which they kind of want to move forward with this. Um, I also think it takes away from the experience from the kids. Yeah. The, the National Hockey League will say, well, we don't know. We don't owe anything to the kids. They're, they're not in the league. They may never even get to the league. Um, so who do, who is it that we owe anything to? Um, it's a pretty unique once in a lifetime experience. The hockey, the NHL draft is different than any other for, for the emotion that it, uh, you know, that, uh, that it creates. Um, it sucks. It sucks. Uh, it'd be the end of an era, but, uh, I guess, uh, we'll see how it goes and see what they can do to kind of make it neat from afar, if you will. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that if they do go away from it, eventually it's going to come back because it's a, it's a really fun fan fest event. So anyway, back to the actual players. Iserman, Celebrini, what's the next level? Is, you know, if you think Celebrini can go wired or wire, is there a group then of a bunch of players that could go at two or is, is Iserman solidified at two? What's the after the number one pick set, setup look like in your opinion as we're months away? I think I think Eisenman's probably the guy that to, to stay in that spot at least as I as I look at it today. Then you're looking at the um, entrance of defensemen into the conversation of Shunov at Michigan State. Um, you know you're you're talking about Sam Dickinson and, uh, with the London Knights. You're talking about Demidov as a forward. It starts to really diversify itself from that point on. Uh, but I sort of look at this as a as a one and two race, not necessarily a one, two race, but a one and a two. And then, you know, some somewhat of a race after that. So it'll be fascinating. I mean, you know, people put such a premium on defensemen that there's going to be a couple of guys there that uh, are, are going to end up as defensemen inside the top 10. We'll see how early that starts. Uh, but probably those guys start to end the conversation as early as, as number three. Um, there's so many mitigating factors, of course, right? Belarusian, Russian players. Does a player play here? Does he play over there? Um, you know, do you need the forward? Do you need the winger? Do you need the center? Is it more important to go high with the D? Like, there's a lot of uh, mitigating factors that probably aren't going to change between now and June, um, as is the case with the standings and who ends up in and out of the playoffs. That that also has a has a bearing on who's who's selecting and and how early. And and every draft seems to have themes, and you know, you look back at past drafts and. You know, what Jake Sanderson is doing now, you know, obviously the Ottawa Senators saw some some really impressive stuff. And, you know, you can you can look at every draft and say, oh, this one had this theme or this one was a defense heavy after that first forward. Is there a, a theme or uh, a feel that you look at for this year's draft uh, that that you've been talking to scouts about? Well, the, the diversity part of it, I think, is really interesting and not not just geographically, but. You know, I think about Celebrini and Levshunov, both are NCAA guys. That has seemingly started to become more and more of a trend where, you know, players will graduate out of the, the USHL or their path to college hockey and go in as essentially underage freshmen. Um, you know, we have seen it in the past. I think it's becoming more of a trend. You're looking at the, um, the reemergence of the, the Ontario Hockey League back to, to prominence with some really good players there. Western Hockey League, again, not so much in the Quebec League in terms of first-round talents, uh, but the Swedes will emerge. Not a ton of them on high on the list right now. The Finns will emerge. You have the the Russian players, Belarusian players, Slovak, Czechs. Diversity in geography for sure, but diversity in terms of positions. A lot of really good defensemen will 
definitely seeing the double digits go in, in the first round for defensemen. And, um, you know, do you want the center position with Celebrini? Is it really important for your uh, group to have scoring off the wing like you would at Eidersman? So there's a lot of diversity to it. And, and again, I don't mean it just in a geographical sense, but a positional sense and, and a sense where these players, regardless of nationality, are located in different geographical spots, uh, adding to that uh, theme of diversity, if you will. And then there is the goaltenders. For two years, we haven't had a goaltender take in the first round, although I think just outside of the first round uh, last year. And for three years, we did have a goaltender taken uh, in the first round. This seems to go in a bit of a wave, and I wonder if that's the, the position development or something. But I'm not sure if there's a goaltender hanging around that's knocking on the first round this year or not, in your opinion? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to see that goaltender going the first round. There's a couple of kids in the CHL, um, more specifically in the Ontario Hockey League, Ryerson Leanders in, in Mississauga, uh, Carter Georgia in, in Owen Sound that have earned B ratings from National Hockey League Central Scouting. Um, that does not project as a, as a first-round player. Size-wise, I think those two have already, uh, you know, you get eliminated by a number of teams if you're not six foot two. I don't think either one of them is at that height. Uh, not to say that they, they won't grow or can't grow um, between now and when the draft comes, but typically you're pretty close to what that looks like uh, already in terms of height with, with the current age. So I don't, I don't think we're going to see that. I think there's going to be too many other options forward-wise, defense-wise, um, to take a chance on a goalie, especially if that goalie is, is sub-6-2 and will have more um, you know, um, definition on that when we get closer to the draft. Well, you kind of mentioned it about uh, the the evolution of the draft, and and you know we saw it. There, there was you know for a long time the draft was mostly Canadians, and then Europeans. Uh, as people started to explore that, and, and this is obviously going back in time, and then I thought the Americans, uh, you know, I thought there was a lot more Europeans getting drafted. The Americans uh, really stepped up the game from the NCAA, and you mentioned the USHL, and now we have the BCHL breaking away, and I've been told the hockey is exceptional this year in the BCHL. What it means is more choices for kids. Uh, it's a little bit more work for the scouts, but this is, we're not too far off from Austin Matthews going to Europe during his draft year because he was looking uh, for an option that worked for him. And, and that's what it is for kids going into their draft year is how is this going to work for me? And the changing landscape, I think, is good for choices. It just involves a lot more conversations and a little bit more work for the scouts to get out to these games. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the number one thing is scouting is just trying to contextualize everything in terms of you're, you're trying to get to look at these players and compare them apples to apples as best as possible. And it's just, that's a really, that's probably the most difficult uh, task in scouting is getting everything broken down apples to apples. And so, you know, again, that diversity creates more issues in trying to achieve that goal. Uh, so it'll be fascinating to see how people, you know, shake it all down once, once we get there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, plenty of work still to be done. You know, world juniors, obviously a big event. You get some four and five nations tournaments that are upcoming. Of course you have your regular season playoffs that, that tend to weigh a little heavier when you get to the playoffs for, for a lot of these guys. So, Still, still plenty to be determined on, on that front for sure. 
Outstanding, Sam. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Uh, we look forward to uh, following uh, your draft uh, guides, articles, and lists at sportsnet.ca and seeing you on the broadcast. And then and we get to uh, be surprised or um, maybe not surprised at some picks in June, hopefully in Vegas. Thanks so much for joining us here on Game Changers. All right. Thanks, Dino. Great seeing you. On the junior scene this weekend, the Saints home to Canmore on Friday and Brooks on Saturday, and that is going to be a beauty. I'm going to join the broadcast with Brandon Ewan Cheshire and Tyler Woke, who's doing a bang-up job as a play-by-play voice in the JPHL. Absolutely loving it, and I'm loving his call as well. So I'll join Ewan Wokey on the broadcast on Saturday night. You can find out all the ticket information you need. Spruce Grove Saints. .ca and check out uh, what you need to know about the Seattle Thunderbirds, chl.ca-whl.thunderbirds. And, of course, for all your live hockey needs when it comes to uh, the JPHL or the HSL, it is silentiztv.com. We have the Challenge Cup this weekend. That is some of the best HSL teams going at it from... Alberta, and uh, some of the best HPL teams going at it uh, from across the country. There'll be the BC teams uh, at some point, Ontario, Quebec will get in the mix. It is really a cool aspect. And Sunday, 2015's 2016 championships on Silent Ice TV. I cannot wait. I'm going to call one of those championship games. Looking forward to it right here on Silent Ice TV. And a guy who regularly appears on our broadcast as the head coach of HC Edmonton and a former pro, plus he played on the best world junior team ever. Sean Bell joins us now on Game Changers. Sean, great to have you aboard. Uh, I was out in BC for the uh, BC Showcase, the regional showcase of the JPHL, but uh, sounded like another good one uh, all around uh, at the Silent Ice Center. What was it like from the HC Edmonton point of view? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it was a pretty good weekend for the most part. Uh, you know, record-wise, it was good. Um, you know, two-in-one record. Um, however, you know, we're pretty focused on standard not so much wins and losses and you know from a standard perspective we felt like there was a little bit more we could do um you know compete and and effort and making sure that there was a consistent uh a consistent game so you know we still have room to improve but you know for the most part it was a it was a pretty good weekend well, and that's what this is all about is building as the season goes on and, and getting better for that important time yep. where you guys obviously were last year uh, winning it all. And obviously, uh, we have you on to talk a little bit about the JPHL. Well, let's start with the big news. And you were on <laughs> Edmonton Sports Talk when this all broke down with Tom Gazzola and Dustin Nielsen and Matthew yep. Awanek. And wow, uh, the Oilers making another coaching change just from... Your point of view, uh, your thoughts on the change and Chris Knobloch coming in, picking up the first win. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, you know, when I first saw that it happened, I wasn't super excited about it. Uh, I, I felt that, you know, they're at a point with the Oilers where this is now their fifth coach with Knobloch. Uh, at some point, you got to start looking at the players and seeing what they're doing. And um, that's how I initially felt about it. But, you know, at the same time, you look back and you, you start to see these different per different things that pop up and, you know, accountability is something that consistently popped up with some of these players. 
And it's like, well, did Jay Woodcroft hold these guys accountable enough? Um, you know, so that could be one of the questions. But for the most part, like they have the tools, they have the team. You want to see more out of them. And, and it sucks when you see a guy, especially when he's a good coach and he's a great communicator, guys like that get fired. And, and that was pretty disappointing and I think pretty disheartening. I am with you on that 100%. And, yeah, sometimes there is a coaching change and it's validated. But at some point, the buck stops with the guys in the dressing room. You were one of those guys in the dressing room in the NHL at one point. And when this happens, what are the players doing? Are they looking at themselves in the mirror uh, in this situation maybe? Yeah, I I, I think so. Like, you know, you you look at just the sound bites over the course of the last year – and, and everything lends itself to the guys really liking Woodcroft. Um, they felt like he was the most new school coach, the best communicator, um, the guy that was willing to, to go above and beyond to, to try to get his message across. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, that is, is so willing to, to do that, um, I think as a player, it actually weighs on you. And, and there might be a little bit of guilt that sets in um, and knowing that you got this guy fired. Um, but unfortunately the, the NHL is a, what have you done for me lately business? And based on the start, mm-hmm. it wasn't good enough. Yeah, no kidding. And th- this is a team that rightfully so had Stanley cup or bust expectations. That was, I was looking at this team saying the Stanley cup final is if they lose there, <laughs> that's the only acceptable yep. place to lose the way they were building. I think they can still make the playoffs. Like I, I know the numbers aren't great and the optim- optimism isn't great. The players, though, have proven they can turn this around. And we've seen many times just getting in is enough if you have the skills. So I still think they have time to turn this around. Yeah, I would agree with you. We had Jay Bomeister on our show last Saturday, and, and he was part of the team in St. Louis yeah. that was actually dead last in January. Uh, and obviously he he kind of broke down about why, you know, things happened and, and stuff like that. And he was mentioning that, you know, they actually had less games than some of the other teams. But, you know, they were dead last. No, no matter which way you try to spin that, you're dead last. And they figured it out. They came together as a team and they started to push in the right direction. And they ended up ultimately winning the Stanley Cup. So for the Oilers, I think it's just about trying to get on the same page you know, lock down defensively like that many people have said that they need to. Um, the offense is going to always be there when you have the two plus best players in the game on your side. Um, you know, so they have a lot of good things going for them. So just get back uh, to playing your game and, and button down what you need to. So how does this, you know, as a player, when there is a coaching change, uh, you know, what do you do? How different is it? Is it simple? Like how, I guess, how confusing is it for a player when a, a new coach comes in midway through and now it's a totally different message? What's that like? Well, I, I think for a coach like Nallblack, he's probably coming in and just saying like, hey, I'm not going to try to change too many things because if I do that, I'm actually setting this team back, you know, a little bit further. So okay, let's have a consistent message. Let's have a similar message. What are the reasons why, you know, you haven't started off the way that that you have and are you expected to? And I think we all know it's the defensive side. That's been the the Oilers' Achilles heel since, you know, McDavid's era started nine years ago. So you've had Tippett come in, who was a defensive coach, couldn't change it. You've had Hitchcock come in, who was a defensive coach, couldn't change it. You've had McClellan, who was a defensive coach, couldn't change it. So... 
maybe it's time to start thinking about, okay, well, this isn't clearly good enough. Now let's get on in, you know, onto the defensive side and clean that up. And, you know, having that coach change, well, if you felt the way you did about Woodcroft, well, now you almost feel like you have to go out and do it, right? So you, you saw in that first game um, against New York, well, they looked a lot better defensively, mm-hmm. which basically says you've had it the whole time. Now can you just maintain it and make sure that there's no drop-off? Because if you have that where it's like one or two goals a game, well, the others are going to be in a pretty good spot. Yeah, totally. And, and it's so amazing that no no matter what level you're at, it seems hard to get people convinced that good play in your own end leads to great play in the other end. And you were a player and, you know, it just... Yep. It's, it's until you, that light bulb almost goes off. And sometimes that light bulb goes off very early for players. And sometimes it's a little bit later, right? That's right. Sometimes (laughs) it never does, right? It's, it's hard to get it. It's hard to get, you know, whether you're dealing with teenagers or adults, it's the same thing, right? 100% it is. And it's, uh, it's something that with our team, we, we try to preach because, it's the it, it's actually the McDavid rule or the Euler rule, and I and I say to my players, I'm like, listen, like you've got to be, find a way to be different than some of these other players. There's a thousand Sean Bells in the world, or there's a thousand Ben Henshaws in the world, or there's a thousand Lucas Masters in the world. Well, what's going to set you apart? And if that player go goes to play for the Oilers as a centerman, and you're a guy that puts up a ton of points, well, how are you going to make the Oilers? Well, you've got to be versatile. You've got to be, you know solid on the defensive side of the game you've got to be able to go up and down the lineup at any moment and be a factor and be effective and that's how you make make teams and that's how you become a guy that's you know irreplaceable and that's what you want to be as a player you don't want to be you know put into one little box and say okay well we've got a guy that's better we'll just move you out we want guys that can be irreplaceable and no matter what team you're on you can be a contributing factor yeah, and, and and it really does go to show that, you know, you can be this player at this level and then the higher up the level you go, you might have to adapt and change your game yeah. a little bit. And, you know, you were a member of, in my opinion, the greatest world junior team ever in, in North Dakota. And you had guys on that team that were superstars on their team, as we see every year for the world juniors. Yep. And not just stars, like superstars had to wear different hats and they're not oh, used sure. to it, but they did it and you guys won. Yeah, I mean, like Corey Perry is a perfect example yeah. of that. Corey Perry was the 13th forward actually that year. So he wasn't even going to be in the lineup. And then Jeremy Colton, I think he got sick or he got hurt. And all of a sudden he gets elevated to the top line with, with Bergeron and Perry and they become obviously one of the best lines that's been in the world juniors in, in quite some time. And then, you know, like even just looking at myself, like I was a, I think I had like 50 points in my, in that year in junior, but then you've got FNUF that's ahead of me. You got Shea Weber that's ahead of me. You got Coburn that's ahead of me. And luckily at the time I, you know, I, I was playing pretty well and I, I was able to beat out um, Seabrook a little bit for his mm-hmm. spot, but like you had some serious players there and you know, everybody's got to fill into a role and they've got to find a way to contribute. And and it's not, everybody's not going to be the power play guy. Not everybody's going to be the guy that puts up all the points. It's making an impact from different spots in the lineup. And, and that was one thing that I think that world junior team, they understood. And, and it was, we don't care where we play. We're winning this thing because we felt 
the year before we should have won it, we lost. Mm-hmm. And it was no nonsense. We're, we're ready to roll. Yeah, and, you know, there were guys that scored 50 goals in the WHL that were cut from that team, Ryan Craig and, and Stone and, and those guys. You know, yeah, my dad. Yeah, fair Eric Fair. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, my my dad yeah. still as a Brandon Wheat King fan does not like Brent Sutter because those guys got cut from that team. But that's <laughs> right, the way true, it goes. Though, it is. He had Colin Frazier. He knew exactly what he was going to get because he coached yep. Colin Frazier. And it's not an All Star team. It's a hockey team. And anybody who's ever yep. played on a hockey team knows that. Guy up here does his role. Guy down here does his role. Girl over here does her role. Goalie does their role. And the team comes together. And that's how you win. 100%. Like, even Mike Green was, was on, wasn't was on that team. And he was a superstar in Saskatoon. So there, there was good players all over the place. But, you know, guys fit into different roles better than other players. And um, they just, they sacrificed what they, what they did best. And they said, okay, maybe I don't need to do as much. I don't need to provide as much offense this year. Mm-hmm. I need to perfect, be perfectly solid on the defensive end. I need to be the best penalty killer. And that's what we had guys that committed to that and they bought in and you know, the rest is kind of history. That I call that the greatest world junior team of all time. I know there's, you know, the few other lockout era teams that could be considered, yep. but it was also memorable because a you're at one of the nicest arenas that I'm sure you've ever <laughs> played at in Ralph Engelstad. It's just nice, yeah. crazy, and it's even better since. And there was that massive snowstorm that forced everybody to kind of come together. Did it? Did it? I don't know how much you felt it at the time, but from the outside, it felt like a kind of like a community World Junior because everybody was stuck down there. Yeah, it was. Every single time we stepped foot on the ice, there was, you know, what, 14,000 screaming yeah. fans. Everybody was coming down from uh, from Winnipeg. And actually, I think they sold out the town of beer. Like, it was absolute pandemonium. It was it was so surreal because, you know, we, we stuck to our little bubble for the most part. But the minute you came into that rink, like, you just felt it. And we also felt it in our dressing room. We knew, like, okay, boys, like, Nobody's stopping us this year. We mm-hmm. we added Patrice Bergeron to our team. Uh, we added Corey Perry to our team. We added Shea Weber to our team. Because you got to remember, most of the guys that were on that team had actually played the year before and then moved into the following year. And then you just add some absolute studs. And here we are. Like We just knew that our mindset was win and there was no winner bust. It is we are winning this and we're all coming together and we are going to smoke teams. And that's how we felt. But when you saw the the fans and how crazy it was, you're like, okay, well, how can we be stopped? Because this this group is going to provide us so much energy. Yeah, and you guys knocked Ovechkin out of the gold medal game. Like the the, the <laughs> seek right. and destroy yep. method, it worked. You knocked the best player out. And whether he was in the game or not, I think you were right. You guys were just not going to be denied. Yeah, we weren't going to be denied. It, it didn't matter who it was. And, you know, I, I, I got lucky because when we lost in Finland, we had to obviously fly back to Canada, but I played in Tri-City. So I got a I got chance to get away from the noise. Right. But I know for a fact when we flew through, when we flew back to Canada, we're in Toronto and we're walking through the airport and you're looking at newspapers like, the, the headlines were like choke artists and hockey can is not the same and all this stuff. And we're like, man, we had this thing won. And if you look at some of the goals, the one goes off a flurry shoulder, rolls yeah. over his head into the net. The other one goes off Coburn's face. 
Like these are goals that don't happen very often. And these are the goals that we gave up. And so we just, we saw that and we were like, we were just pissed off and we were ready to win it. Yeah, it was like a year of motivation, right? Of, 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 of going back. Um, and then, so you move on to your career and you eventually get to play for the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, yep. wearing any NHL jersey, I think is the, the most special thing for any hockey player. But wearing that jersey, what was it like to be able to be a part of that organization in your career? Yeah, that was pretty special. You know, playing for your hometown team is, uh, is obviously a, a really cool moment in time. Um, it was still at the time, obviously, when they had the bar downstairs and you had to walk through kind yeah. of the bar. And, you know, I had buddies chirping me and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you sit there as you're walking through and you're like, who would decide to put a bar next to the pathway? But it was awesome. And, you know, the fans were the fans were great for the most part. Obviously, it was a decade of darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed my time here. Um, I wish I could have been able to play longer here, but I mean, you know, it is what it is when it comes to your hockey career and, and especially pro hockey. Um, but it was a pretty special moment. Yeah, for sure. The hometown team is, is so neat. I, I think there's a neat story in your career um, that kind of brings us to where you are now in the JPHL. And that's you and Clayton Stoner uh, <laughs> had your paths cross a lot in the game. And now you're doing it again, uh, coaching in the JPHL as he's involved uh, with the Island Hockey Club, and you're with HC Edmonton. But tell us a little bit about how you guys have become intertwined throughout your career. It's craziness. Um, we played together in, in Tri-City. Obviously, we're deer partners. Uh, we like to call ourselves a triple seven threat. So <laughs> I wore 77. He wore number seven. And we were full throttle on the offensive side of the of the ice. Um, you know, it'd be there'd be times where we were both up in the play. So it was it was a bit rid- ridiculous, but um, you know, we were both pretty good defensemen, um, you know, on our respective sides. And then as soon as we turned pro, I actually got traded from Dallas to Minnesota and ended up playing with him in our farm system in Houston. Um, so we've always just been kind of connected, you know, throughout our hockey careers, and and now here we are again in in the JPHL and. He's, uh, you know, the GM for Island HC, and I'm the GM head coach here for for HC Edmonton, and, you know, it just never, never changes. And we actually had him on our show a couple weeks ago, um, and we were talking about that, and it's just it, that part of it is is interesting because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it, it, it is really quite strange, and I think it's also a good jumping-off point to talk about the, the different coaches and the quality of coaches yeah. and – not just the quality of coaches that are quote unquote competing against each other, but working together. I have not seen the cooperation between coaches in a league like this. I don't even know. I I might say ever. I mean, coaches, a lot of times that I saw growing up were, they wanted to get to that next level as, as opposed to the kids. And listen, we all have aspirations, but the way the coaches in the JPHL work together and the way the league works together, it's pretty rare. Oh, it's super rare. I mean, there was times last year when I think it was Island, so Stutzel and Stoner, um, myself, Baxter, my assistant coach. I think Riley Furster was there, who was the U15 assistant coach. Um, Tyrell Spitzer, Brendan Wiley, Zach Massingham, who was another assistant coach uh, that we had. The Lloyd coaches. We're all sitting in Calgary, and we're all at that golf place together just hanging out golfing. And 
you, you looked around and you're like, well, most of these guys are former players. So there's might be a little bit of a different perspective. Yes, we're here competing against each other. And trust me, we're all super competitive people. But we also understand like, okay, this is for the kids. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and throw shots at any other league. But at the same time, like, we're very, very much ingrained to not work together. It's it's OHA versus NAX. It's Southside Athletic Club versus KC. And you don't help each other. But for betterment of a league, you want to be able to help each other. You guys want – we want to be on the same same page. I don't want my kids to hit one of Lloyd's kids from behind because I love that coach on the other side. So let's mm. play clean, honest hockey, and let's work, and and we kind of go from there. And, and I think you – you see a better respect between the two teams. And once again, the kids, <laughs> there is rivalry. There is, you know, a different perspective. But from a coaching standpoint, it's 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 pretty special because you don't see this. No, I was in Williams Lake for the one showcase and Langley was looking for a little bit of extra ice and, and Tyrell, uh, who is the coach of the North Stars program and ha- yeah. heads that, he's like, yeah, I, I make this ice available for you. I, I, I honestly don't think that the Winnipeg Monarchs would have helped the Brandon Wheat Kings AAA team no. when I was growing up to, to get yeah, some ice chance. time. And, and it's just, it's growing the league, it's developing coaches, broadcasters, referees, players, everybody. That's kind of this this mindset. How did you uh, come into this? I know you were with the, the Spruce Grove Saints for a little bit, but how did you find out about the JPHL and, and what attracted you to it to become the hub GM in, uh, for HC Edmonton? Well, I've always really liked the academy model. Um, so that was one of the first things. And then, you know, I was, I was coaching with uh, Saints Gray in the HSL um, which was formerly the, the Gorillas program. That's how I ended up meeting Richard Nault. And, you know, I was I actually was pretty close to committing to NAX and uh, Stephen Kurtzen came in and, and we finally had a meeting and um, things moved pretty quickly from there. So that's how I ended up in this program. And, and honestly, you know, you look back and you think about different things you, over your course, your career, your jobs, whatever. And, and this turned out to be, one of the best things ever, um, you know, from a complete growth standpoint. And, you know, the JPHL was slowly coming on board. Tyrell Spitzer had called me one day in the middle of January. And, um, you know, I was I was just kind of, my, my wife was pregnant. And I had just got a new gym. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I was I was maxed out when it came to trying to do more. I couldn't couldn't add anything more to my to my job to because I wanted to be there to support obviously her um, but I also had to support the gym so I was at a bit of a crossroads and and then Spitzy came in and started you know talking about the JPHL and and creating this new academy league and um, I knew that academies were the best model for development I knew obviously it fit my schedule a little bit better and you know I, I decided that you know, probably going to stop coaching junior eight, even though I loved it, mm-hmm. um, to move into this academy model because it, it fit what I was doing better. And I could also help more kids, um, which is a passion at the end of the day. Well, and I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I think set it apart from, you know, the treatment uh, of the athletes and the coaches. Yeah. And obviously we're very proud of uh, the, the production aspect that, that we put forth. But the one thing that I think, you know, when you're, a lot of those things are kind of like, okay, 
that's a bonus, that's a bonus, but what is the actual development like? And I think with this model, and, and it's right behind you, the, the seven yep. performance seven gym that you have, the off ice and the skill work and the development work, along with the games and the schedule, and hey, you actually get to have a life outside of hockey during the winter. What a novel concept. But the individual time and the skill work and the and the uh exercise and the and the strength building, I think that's stuff yeah. that other leagues can't compete with with our with our model. Yeah, I mean, you know, from a from an off ice perspective, um, you know, my my gym does a lot of the stuff for HC Edmonton and a lot of stuff for the Titans actually, and you know, we we feel pretty strongly about the people we have in this gym. And Josh Nill, um, he's been in this business for a long time. Um, he's worked with the Dallas Stars numerous times, um, so he's got a wealth of experience. And, and a lot of the people that we brought in. Um, to operate in the gym, to to help in the gym, are all fantastic people. So, you know, we feel really good about the product and, and we know that, you know, there's a science behind what we do and why we do it. And obviously, you know, in certain points you can push harder, certain points you should probably pull off the brake or, you know, ease, put on the brakes. Um, you know, so just from a, from a holistic standpoint, from a, a scientific-based standpoint, we feel like we're, we're doing a pretty good job on the, on the off ice side and you don't see a ton of like, you know, muscle injuries and stuff like that because of the way that Josh programs a lot of this stuff. So um, from that, from that stuff, we feel really good. Um, the on ice standpoint, almost everybody, at least in HC Edmonton, either runs their own skills camp um, as a skills instructor or does some sort of skills uh, when they're not actually coaching. So we're, you know, we're, we feel very, very strongly about our program. And, and once again, I'm not going to take shots at anybody else, but we feel like we do things a little bit differently than other people uh, in the JPHL because we have such a development-focused model and it's not all about wins and losses. Yeah, and, and there's family time built in there. And I, I think that's really important. I mean, I don't yeah, ever remember my parents taking a winter vacation to, to do anything, but... With this format and, you know, things pop up where uh, wildfires happen and, and different things and things change. But it really does give that quality of life for not only the players, but the families and the coaches and everybody. We all need a little bit more quality of life these days. 100%. Like being done at 3.30 or 4 o'clock and being able to hang out with your family, have dinner that you normally don't, the parents don't have to rush home you know, rush to school to pick you up, to get something to eat, to go somewhere else. And like, there's just, when you're done your day, you're done your day, go watch your buddies play hockey somewhere else. Go watch your other game that you don't normally think you'd be able to watch. Go do something, enjoy it, have a hobby, pick up something, do extra school so that you can get through school quicker. Um, it just lends itself to a better social, uh, I guess, environment. Um, because you're able to do more stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Quality of life, uh, family life. Uh, you know, I had somebody in in BC say, you know, this league hasn't just been good for my son. It's been good for my relationship with my wife because we yep. have more time. And, and you know, that that's just music to my ears. So uh, yep. also, uh, yep. you guys are busy with Hello Hockey. Uh, and I know your buddy yep. Tom Gazzola is busy. I can't imagine what the post-game and pre-game show has been like this year because <laughs> I, I did it during that decade of darkness. So I know what yep. the fans can be like. But Hello Hockey... Uh, uh, such a fun show. We we can't wait to get it at the Silent Ice Center, and you guys do a live show, which, by the way, is 
you know, the, the nicest arena in, in Canada that's not a professional arena. Uh, but uh, yeah. how much fun are you having with Hello Hockey and looking forward to getting you guys live at the Silent Ice Centre at some point? No, oh, Hello Hockey's it's fantastic. Uh, you know, it gives a perspective from not just the Oilers. It, it's all of hockey, and there's so much there's so much to be told in the hockey world from from Europe to to what we're doing to obviously the rink. Uh, there's a there's a story that's not told, and and somebody's got to talk about it, and and we feel like we want to be the ones to do it. And it, it's been a lot of fun. We've we've had guys that are notorious. Uh, uh, hard asses so to speak like brian burke he came up and he's been a fantastic interview he really kind of you know opened up we had jay bowmeister last week mm. who's a quiet guy he opened up so it was it's really an interesting perspective when you know they're not just all fastballs uh, in the interview maybe it's a little bit more of a you know a fun loving approach to to what we're trying to do because there is so much negativity in the hockey world there's so many people doing the hard-hitting questions well, can we be that conduit between, you know, a, a spit and chicklets, which is so pro player versus what traditional media is on the other side, mm -hmm. right? So we want to be kind of smack dab in the middle. Yes, we're traditional media, but at the same time, hey, we're also, I'm a former player, Tom, the guy that used to play as well, and he's also in the media. So, we, you know, we can kind of be that, that middle ground and, and provide a lot of cool stories. And Tom also, you know, you played in the game. Tom was right in the in the media side uh, with the Oilers, so he has a lot of that experience. And I think, you know, having done traditional media, so to speak, for so many years and, and the, the post-game and the pre-game questions that we would ask you and p players would roll their eyes, we'd be rolling our eyes in our head as well because it's the same stuff. I think hockey players get such a bad rap for not having a personality because – the game of hockey seems to pound it out of you and you got to conform <laughs> and this and that. I think hockey players do have personalities. I think you they see do. it behind closed doors a lot more and a show like yours to be able to bring those out and the stories and this, I think helps the game grow in, in a way. We don't all have to be about systems and robots and this. We can actually have personalities and fun conversations. That's how you grow the game, in my opinion, a little bit more. I couldn't agree more and there is a lot of personality that doesn't mm. that's not allowed out and if you show too much personality somebody's coming and saying yeah. come see me in the office and let's let's knock it off but you know the the biggest sports in the states are basketball football in particular baseball obviously and there is nothing but personality in those sports so how can we sit here as hockey being probably fourth or fifth actually maybe even sixth now in the states and say you know what we don't want any personality here because that's not what we do well guess what you got bypassed by nascar you got yeah. bypassed by f1 and you got bypassed by mls soccer which, which wasn't even in existence like 10 years ago so you tell me what's going on. And, you know, we want to be able to tell those stories. So it's trying to find shows like Spit and Chicklets and Missing Curfew and our show, Hello Hockey. And you get some of these people, your show, where they can come on and they can talk and they can be them. I think that lends itself to a lot of different fans and um, they can actually get to understand who that person is. And I think you'll get more people rooting for you in that way even if you're a villain people want to see what you're doing sean avery yeah. he's yeah. got shows and he's eviscerating everybody but everybody's tuning into it and they're like oh this is great because the guy's got personality 
Yeah. It's that Howard Stern effect where more people listened to Howard Stern because they hated him. They wanted to find out what he was going to say next, but they still listened. And it's, it's about exactly that personality showing it off. I love that you guys are doing that on uh, Edmonton sports talk on Saturdays and looking forward to getting you guys out at the arena. And uh, the winter championship is right around the corner. And last year it was a fantastic event. It's going to be even better. Uh, final thoughts just on that event at the silent ice center. And if people haven't checked it out, there's a saints game on November 28th. That arena is, is something else, isn't it? It's something else. Um, words can't really describe it. I mean, you walk in every single day. We spent our we spent our year at Argyle Arena last year. So right now we're probably the most appreciative group on the planet because there was moments last year where the walls were freezing on the inside because of how cold it was and the heat wouldn't work and all these different things. And and now we're sitting in this facility and even the practice rink is four thousand times better than Argyle yeah. Arena. And we're sitting back and like this is our home and you're looking around and. It's still not fully complete, but the restaurant looks unbelievable. Every detail, every sight line is fantastic. It's just words can't describe what it is. Pictures can't describe it. You just got to go see it for yourself. And to have a winter championship where every single team is there and, and you know, kind of the notoriety that's going to go with it and the media that's going to probably attend, it's going to be a pretty good event. And, hey, we're defending champs and we're going to have to show up and, and put our best foot forward. So, um, it's, I'm looking forward to the event. Defending champs in the winter championship in the playoffs as well. And just getting a text message as we're speaking from guru Brandon, Awan Cheshire, and the video board is going to be working. It's actually going to oh, be beautiful. up this weekend saw for them, the uh, challenge cup. Yeah. I saw them trying to get it working. It was on uh, full rotate as fast as it possibly could. And JJ screaming, Brandon screaming, <laughs> and like, slow it down. And, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, that, that place is going to be awesome. Belzy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, continued success. You guys are knocking it out of the park at every level in HC Edmonton, and we'll see you at the rink soon. Yep, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Big thanks to Sean Bell and, of course, uh, Sam Cosentino. Sean Bell, member of that great World Junior team. I just love discussing that. I'm sure he probably gets sick of me bringing it up, but I just... I just love going back to that, and he runs such a great top-flight program at JPHL uh, HC Edmonton as the U18 head coach, but uh, you can see the fingerprints are all through from U18 to U14. Uh, terrific style of hockey that they play, aggressive, in-your-face. Uh, it's really fun to see Sean at the rink. And Sam Cosentino, used to chat with him all the time when we had the Pipeline Show. So good to catch up with him from Roger Sportsnet. Will it be wire to wire like he says, or will we get a wrench thrown in there? Uh, and we will see what happens with the changing landscape of the game of hockey. So big thanks to Sean, a big thanks to Sam Cosentino. And as we go, let's take a look back at the best that took place this past weekend in the JPHL. And man, there was a lot of stuff that unfortunately didn't make it in because we don't want the show to go too long, but it was a sensational weekend, even through the power outages, but Edmonton rocked it. Langley was awesome. Thank you so much to everyone who made it a great weekend. This show has been a presentation of For Vengeance Media, as is the JPHL, on the home of the JPHL Silent Ice TV. And you can check out past episodes and much more uh, if you want to check out Silent Ice TV. Uh, we have it all sorted out into full interviews, full episodes, 
things that didn't make it in, one-timers. You can even check out our tour of the beautiful Silent Ice Center before everything was finished. We'll be there this weekend for the Challenge Cup. Can't wait. Hope to see you there. If not, we'll have it right here on Silent Ice TV. The Winter Championship is going to be awesome in December. And before that, the Saints in Sherwood Park, November 28th at the Silent Ice Center Hatch Arena. It's going to be awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy this look back at the JPHL. We'll see you next time. Luce has Fair on the back door. Luce makes a nice little move there. Back door, they score. Fair buries that one on the back door. And finally, Cavill. Nice little move. Out comes Cavill. By himself, has help coming. Cavill, what a move. Toe drags right in on goal. Forehander scores. All by himself. Graydon Cavill. Coast to coast, it's tied at two. Pretty with that puck, he's got Lum going to the net. Here's Pretty across for Lum, great save made by Parmar. Moves that one across, here's Chase Fedoric, nice little move, shooting, and it stopped, still digging for it, puck is loose, and Gavin Steves holds on. Behind the goal line, Cruz plays it back again, and then he gets back into the crease. Oh my goodness. Dwayne Paul Cruz with some leather larceny on the Island HC. What a stop. Scott gets caught on the pinch. Johansson, two on one. Johansson slides out over to Fromm. Beautiful goal. Torrin Fromm. Excellent job. Paul collects it, has McDonald heading to the front of the net, knocks it down. Oh, wow, what an incredible goal from the amazing sauce setup. And then McDonald knocking it down and ripping it bar down and in. Fisher will take it, wins it back cleanly. Drop off the right point, can try to get it back in front, quick shot, they score! Divert moves that one in front, Perron shoots and he scores! Adam Perron makes it three to nothing. Liam Pugh back the other way with a nice head of steam, you can't slow him down. Here's Pew, scores! Liam Pew cannot be stopped. He's a dangerous, dangerous man. Penalties expired, teams are five on five. Here's a shot, they score! Number four for Liam Pew, and the fans are on their feet at this point. They can't believe what they're seeing from number 13. Here's Pew stealing that one. He's got a chance to break away. Here comes Pew looking for five. Pew shoots, scores! Fifth of the game, Liam Pew. Every single team in the Western Hockey League should be looking at number 13 for Langley right now. His fifth of the game in his second game of the day. And Zar trying to take it towards the net. He's knocked down. And there's a big hit in behind the net as Maurer, oh wow, stepping into his man Smith. On a third attempt, it'll be punched up ice and it's gonna be a two on one. Opportunity here, pass to the slot, Fleming lets that one go and he scores. As a tight little sequence there. Cavill over to Larry, Larry takes a step, good shot there. Down low and he came, follows it up. Puck bounced up and Larry with some serious hand-eye coordination bats that rebound out of midair. And they'll roll that one out to center. Sunderland, nice move, gets right in. One-on-one -on -one with the goaltender, backhand, forehand, tried to slip it home and does! What a move. Their second power play 
carried over into this second period. And here's Angelus walking the line. He will dish it off to Magdalinski, getting into the slot for Pat Cowan. What a play! What a goal! What a setup for Ty Magdalinski and the great Selly as well. That was beautiful. That puck gets thrown on net. Big save there by Bowman as he continues to stand tall, keeping his team only down the one goal here in the latter stage of the first period. Another big save, another big save. A huge sequence here by Volman as he's had to make four or five big stops to keep this one a one-nothing hockey game. Absolutely outstanding work.